With that confession on our lips, we now turn to the Word of God, and we'll be reading from 1 Corinthians 6, the verses 12 to 20. 1 Corinthians 6, the verses 12 to 20. And you'll be able to find that on page 1,314 of your pew Bible. This will be a reading in connection with the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism as we're moving through it with regards to what the seventh commandment teaches us. That is, you shall not commit adultery. We'll be reading together from 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 to 20. This is the Apostle Paul writing by the power of the Spirit. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So far, the word of God. We'll now read together as well from Lord's Day 41 of our Heidelberg Catechism, dealing with the seven, seventh commandment as we've been moving through the Ten Commandments. And you will be able to find that on page 556 of your book of praise. What does the seventh commandment teach us? that all unchastity is cursed by God. We must, therefore, detest it from the heart and live chaste and disciplined lives both within and outside of holy marriage. Does God in this commandment forbid nothing more than adultery and similar shameful sins? Since we, body and soul, are temples of the Holy Spirit, it is God's will that we keep ourselves pure and holy. Therefore, he forbids all unchaste acts, gestures, words, thoughts, desires, and whatever may entice us to unchastity. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, imagine for a moment that 
you are walking through a hall of mirrors. It's a display of mirrors of every shape and size. As you walk through the hall, you see your form twisting into different shapes and sizes. A flat mirror will give you a picture of the world as it is. A convex mirror, a curved out mirror, the kind you'll find hanging in gas stations, will give you a bigger picture of the world, allow you to see more that's around you and make you look very small. A concave mirror, a mirror that looks a little bit like a cave or the inside of a spoon, will give you a bigger picture of yourself and suddenly you fill the whole mirror. The way that you look in these mirrors can be a little bit like the way that you look at yourself as well. Are you looking in the mirror of God's word or are you letting something else change your point of view? Genesis 1 teaches us that we are created in the image of God and even after the fall into sin, God still looks at us as being created in his image. That doesn't change. You can see Genesis 9 verse 6 for that truth. If you don't look at the world the way God wants you to, however, it will warp the way that you see life. It will warp the way that you live out your life, despite the fact that you have been created in the image of God. This is true, of course, for every area of life. Look at what has dominion over you. That is to say, in the words of verse 12 of our passage, look at what has power over you. Look at what rules your time, your relationships, your money, your emotions. Drugs, overuse of video games, alcohol, overuse of Facebook, social media, and more. You can reflect on that if sexual sin as such is not your struggle. But for today, as we look in the image of God's Word, in the mirror of God's Word, do take time to notice how this is especially true for our lives when it comes to the question of God-given sexual intimacy contrasted with sexual immorality. Because when we bring in these things, we are talking about more than just something that has to do with the body, but something that affects the soul. We'll see this under this theme and points. The body is meant for God's glory. And we'll see, first of all, a question of freedom. Secondly, a, the danger of immorality. And third, the pre preciousness of right intimacy. Today, we live in a society in which we are the ones who are to be in control. William Ernest Henley wrote in his well-known poem, Invictus, In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. 
today's society has taken hold of those final lines. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And made it their motto. The idea of someone else dictating to me what ought to be done is horrifying. It's seen as the ultimate betrayal of self. And this is especially true when it comes to the motto, my body, my choice, that you hear springing up time and time again. We are the ones who are to be in control and no one else is. If we're fairly closely tied to our culture today, we may find ourselves flinching a little at the words in our passage today. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Bold language. Christ has laid claim to every part of our life. We can't hold back anything. We belong to him. And so we have a responsibility to someone beyond ourselves for what we do with our bodies. This is what the Word of God teaches us, tells us. How countercultural is that? But it's not just we ourselves today who might shrink from this kind of language. It's the people in the author of our letter, the Apostle Paul's day as well. They were the ones who wrote to him on this subject, taking in the culture that was around them, the Greek and Roman culture, which allowed for more freedom, depending on which strain of Greek thought you followed, but some which allowed for a lot more freedom in their minds. And they wrote to him on this subject saying, we're free in Christ, right? So that means we should be free to do what we want. All things are lawful for me. They said, you don't see it as clearly perhaps in your pew Bible, but if you have another translation on hand, you'll notice that this idea of theirs is put into quotes. All things are lawful for me. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods. It's to this question that the Apostle Paul speaks. Now what they're doing here is taking some of Paul's earlier words. Before, the Apostle Paul had been speaking to other Christians, and perhaps to them in person as well, about freedom to eat meat that was sacrificed to idols. Basically, any meat that you found in the marketplace in the ancient world had been sacrificed to idols. As a Christian, Paul had said, you're allowed to buy that kind of meat from the marketplace. Where someone deliberately tells you it's from an idol, of course, and it would cause a bad witness to them to eat it, you may not eat of it. Then you abstain from eating it. But all food is ultimately from God. So when it comes to things that are indifferent, like food, then yes, a Christian has freedom. The problem was that the Christians were taking this language of freedom when it came to food, and they were suddenly applying it to their sexual appetites as well. The fact that my body has this sexual appetite must mean that I am free to follow it, just as I am free to follow my appetite for food. Yes, we're free, from, we're free in Christ, he says. 
But that doesn't mean that we're free from all responsibility. God has put guidelines in place in this world. He has put protective boundaries in place. We actually confess this as we are singing when the psalmist says the boundaries have fallen for me in pleasant places. This is what he's talking about. The guidelines that God has put in life. And this is especially true when it comes to the question of sex. There are limits on our freedom. And those limits come when our desires no longer line up with the will of Christ. When we want to put ourselves back into slavery. Back into what Christ has pulled us out of. And this brings us to our second point. The danger of immorality. The problem with immorality especially sexual immorality, is that it does just that. It puts us back into slavery. It puts us back into selfishness, which is slavery to making idols of ourselves. And it puts us back into making idols of those things that we fix our eyes on as well. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Galatians 4 verse 9. But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, How is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? Bondage is slavery. When we chase after sin like this, we are voluntarily putting chains back on ourselves. Think of the mirror again for a moment. When the mirror is curved in on itself, suddenly all you see is yourself, isn't it? You fill up the whole picture. Everything else is blocked out. That's a kind of slavery, God says. Why is this especially a problem? Because as we read in the second half of verse 13, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. The body is meant for the Lord, meaning all of us were rescued by God, all who believe. And because of this, we are freed to serve Him and to glorify Him with our bodies just as much as with the rest of us. Our bodies belong to Him too. When we settle for looking lustfully at, at a woman, whether on a billboard or at the beach or while watching pornography, or when we settle for lustfully looking at a man, for that matter, we are sending a message. When we take the next step of satisfying ourselves by committing adultery, we are sending God a message. We are telling God that the freedom that he gave us in Christ is not enough and that we want to go back into slavery. We are telling him that we are putting the chains of selfishness back on. We are putting the chains of idolatry back on. We're like the Israelites who have just been brought out of the land of Egypt and we're looking back at the land of Egypt and we're thinking, why can't we go back there? 
We're out here in the desert and it's, we're having a hard time here in the desert and weren't there all kinds of special things to eat back in Egypt? But boy, are those ever heavy shackles to carry. You don't think so? Consider how hard it is for somebody who is trapped in years of porn usage to break free. And that's when they're willing to admit that there's a problem. The chains, the shackles, only grow heavier with every year that you carry them. Consider the person who has to bear the weight of unconfessed guilt with them after they have committed adultery. That's a huge huge weight. But there are consequences that go even beyond that. Because our rushing out to put on chains doesn't just affect us, but it affects those who are around us as well. Sin is curved in on itself, and so we don't see this. Our bodies fill the whole mirror. But without realizing it, our selfishness grows and the ripples hit all of those who are around us. Think about this, brothers and sisters. Yes, this isn't just the male problem, but it happens to women as well. Where are you getting those hours to view pornography from? Days at the office or on the job site get longer because time is spent looking at computer screens or phones. But those hours don't come for free. They're taken away from something. You are sacrificing your wife, your children, your boyfriend, your girlfriend at the altar of self. You are sacrificing your relationships with friends at the altar of sex. You are also wired to defend what you love. Let me say that again. You are also wired to defend what you love. When you love sin, you get very defensive of those extra hours that you spend away with it. You get short-tempered with your spouse and with your children because they take away from the time that you could spend with your sin. You begin to isolate yourself from your other relationships so that you can spend time with this false relationship with sin that you have built. You become curved in on yourself. You grow to fill the whole mirror. This creates very long-lasting scars. Because even when you, by God's grace, leave that particular sin behind you, you need to evaluate every relationship that you have scarred through your time with sin. The way that you deal with people becomes normal, habitual after a while. And over time, you even stop seeing it in yourself. 
and destructive behaviors that you have built, as well as the selfish and self-centered image you've allowed yourself to carry with you through that time, will further be chains that you have chosen to carry. They will be further chains that you need to repent of and turn to Christ once again so that he can cut away your burden. Sex isn't meant for this. Sex is meant to be free and joyful within those proper bounds. It's created to be delightful and God-glorifying. It builds up. It's part of the husband and wife becoming one flesh. You come together not just for physical intimacy, but for emotional and for spiritual intimacy. Becoming one flesh is that whole package. But when the idol of self gets in the way, then suddenly you're no longer investing in this whole relationship together. You're departing from God's standard. And what was wholesome and pure and good and God-glorifying becomes sickening and deadening. You are walking out of the light and sunshine and into the dark and gloom of a prison cell, clamping cold iron shackles on your own hands and feet. The Apostle Paul is standing outside that prison cell in the free air under the lights of Christ saying, why are you allowing this? Why are you choosing this? You are going back to what Christ has set you free from. You are letting it have dominion over you. You are letting it rule over you. But more than that, when you go after sexual pleasure with something outside of the good designs that God has made, you need to see the bigger picture of what you're doing, not just to yourself, not just to your relationships around you, but to your relationship with God. As a Christian, you belong to Jesus Christ. You are joined to the Lord. You belong to him. You take him into every interaction that you go into, including unholy ones. You are sinning against God. You do need to open your eyes to these things. It's not a harmless sin. It's not a victimless crime. It's not okay just because everyone involved is enjoying it. It curves you in on yourself. It binds you in chains. It's selfishness leading to more selfishness. It's idolatry. And this brings us to our final point. The preciousness of right intimacy. We could stop with what we've just said and say, stop it. But that wouldn't be enough, would it? Because all that would make you do is crumble underneath the weight of guilt and just leave you there. The Apostle Paul means to open our eyes and see the danger of sin, but it's not meant to leave us there. You've made yourself a prisoner all over again. 
You were free in Christ and you chose to enter that dark, cold, damp, and stinking prison cell and put on those strong iron chains on your hands and feet, all for some pleasure. And then you open your eyes. Your eyes are opened to where exactly you are. But we need to see and to know that God always gives us a way out from under such things. How? God draws our attention to three things in particular. First, that he is God. He is the designer. Second, what it is to flee from. And the last, what to flee to. So first, to see that absolute freedom is actually no freedom at all. Freedom with boundaries is a freedom that ends in slavery or misery. We need boundaries to thrive and to find joy inside of them. Your, your parents already understand this with your children. When you're raising them, you don't let them do everything. You put a baby gate at the top of the stairs when your child is learning to crawl because the freedom to fall down the stairs would likely injure or kill them. You give them bedtimes because not having a regular sleep routine makes them irritable and angry and is generally not good for them or for you. You don't give them the freedom to drive your car until you've taught them to operate it safely, which is to say in accordance with the rules of the road. There's a Hebrew word that means happy, simcha. This word does not mean a quick and temporary pleasure that comes with, for example, looking at pornography. But it means living in accordance with God's will. Because believing in God, we understand that the only true joy comes from recognizing the freedom that comes within the limits that God has put in place. He is God. He is the designer. And so what he has given us, these boundaries that he has given us, are precious God has created sex. God has designed intimacy. And what he has made is good. But the only way to find true fulfillment and lasting pleasure is to find it within the limits of his will and his word to his glory. So that's the first thing that we recognize. We are called to look to the authority of God as the one who created intimacy and let it speak into our lives about intimacy. Because you see, when we look for intimacy outside of these boundaries, we are telling ourselves a lie. But God himself tells us the truth. He is the designer. The second is that uh, when our God calls us to flee from something, it's because he knows that it's harmful to us. You might be stuck in pornography right now. You might be stuck in dealing with somebody else in a relationship that you know is ungodly and it seems okay at this moment. But brother, sister, beloved of God, he knows what he is talking about. As the designer of our intimacy, when he says something is harmful, when he says it hurts those and the, hurts us and those around us, take him at his word. 
Men, say that you got yourselves a beautiful little family van. You would listen to the man who built your van, and if he told you not to drive it over the edge of a cliff because it's not designed to fly, you wouldn't drive it over the edge of a cliff. Woman, you would listen to the designer of a washing machine if they told you that it's not okay to wash your children in it because that's not what it's designed for. It's meant for clothes. How much more is this for God who designs intimacy? So when he says flee, we read in our passage here today, we read in our passage in verse 18, flee sexual immorality. When he says flee, don't stop and ask questions. Flee. Remember the wife of Lot who stopped to look back longingly on Sodom and Gomorrah and became a pillar of salt. Flee. But don't just flee from something. Flee to something. Flee to Christ. The Apostle Paul, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and you are not your own? For you are bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You belong to Jesus Christ. He knows the pain, the weight of pain that comes with your sin. He knows it even better than you. Because he bore it on the cross for you. He bore the weight of your shame, your pain, and your sin on the cross. You were bought at a price. Having bought you at a price, he has set you free. Having bought you at a price, he also gives you a church family. Flee to Christ our head. Flee with the help of the body of Christ. Ask for help in being pointed to him and to help you through these struggles. Look to your brothers and sisters. Or if you're unsure and you don't know who you could turn to, ask me and I can find somebody who's willing to walk by your side. I've already spoken with several people who have promised to commit to this. We are your family in Christ. We love you. And that doesn't change through this sin. We want to help you live in the best way possible, in freedom in Christ. And though you may believe the devil's lie, you are not alone. There are many who have gone through the same thing and found freedom in Christ. There are many who are willing to stand beside you and walk beside you even as you struggle in sin. You are not alone, men, women, 
boys, girls, you are not alone. And brothers and sisters, if somebody does come to you, respond with compassion, grace, and love to this sibling in Christ who is fleeing from their prison to you and desperately asking to and needing to be pointed to Christ. More than that, though, and this is especially true for singles, but also true for those who are married and struggling, remember, he is not withholding quick-fix intimacy because, from you because he is a killjoy. Child of God, he cares for you, and he's keeping you from self-destructive and an other-destructive life. And beyond that, he's keeping you in store for something much better. And I'm not just talking about physical intimacy here. Although within his created boundaries, this is something that's much more beautiful than the world's cheap imitation. When it's a reflection of true intimacy, self-sacrificially serving each other as Christ and his church serve each other, it is so much more beautiful. But he's keeping something even better in store for you. He is keeping in store for you a weight of glory. He is keeping in store for you a time when you will live together with him in eternity. Not being married or given in marriage, not needing that picture anymore that marriage gives. Because we will be living in perfect communion with him. We will find our satisfaction in full, in something that's even beyond this good gift that God has created here on earth as a picture of his love for us, his people. Now it's hard to imagine, especially if you're struggling, it's hard to imagine that kind of satisfaction and that kind of fulfillment. It's hard, especially if we're living in a situation in which we feel a drought of that kind of intimacy. But it's there. It's his promise. And we will find our fullness and our completion in him as he gives us a precious and perfect intimacy that's beyond anything that this world has to offer. Amen.